What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are. And it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe, download now the truth. Hey, Slider Crusaders. Welcome to the podcast, Politics by Faith. I want to play for you some segments from our latest TV show. We talked about the drug, drug, epidemic, drug epidemic in America. We kicked off this first segment playing a video. Obviously, that doesn't work well on the podcast, but... It is a video of Philadelphia, the streets of Philadelphia, and you've seen things like this before in San Francisco or wherever. And it's 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 horrific. It's people keeled over. Like it's like it's like The Walking Dead. And I I hate that I can see this video, and I don't have. I don't feel the pain that I should feel when I see it. It should be more painful to watch that this is, these are our people and these are our cities. It's bad enough, but I, I should have more emotion to it. Anywho, uh, we start off with that. And then I talk about how wrong I was about the legalization of drugs. And then we talk with a wonderful guest. We talked to him before, Charles Lehman from the Manhattan Institute about um, his also former libertarian perspective on this stuff and how we've been wrong. We've been wrong about the legalization of this stuff. It's bad. It's bad. It's not contributed to a flourishing society, which is what our ultimate goal should be. But how do we, but we're free, but freedom. America's supposed to be a free country too. How do we juxtapose that? How do we hold both of those at the same time? That's what we talk about in this podcast. I'm grateful you're Hey, Slider Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Welcome to our latest special, Politics by Faith, the drug epidemic. We're going to talk about drugs in America. This is downtown Philadelphia. Look at our cities. Look at our people. Look at what we're doing to ourselves. This is an empire in decline. This is late stage empire, drugged out of our minds. But it's not just the downtrodden in our cities. This is a problem everywhere. So before you think, oh yes, later, but that's those people. And that's way over there. 70% of people are taking some sort of drug. And we're close to a majority of Americans ingesting marijuana in some way. We are a drugged out people. 
and it is making our country worse. It is making the lives of Americans worse. We are not living in reality. I have been wrong only three times in my professional life. No, I've been wrong a lot, but three pretty big ones. First time I was wrong was, uh, or one of the big ones was the Iraq war, weapons of mass destruction. One of the lessons for me that I learned in that, in the aftermath many years later, was how, how I will believe something with no evidence and how, how long I'll, and the lengths I'll go to avoid having to admit I was wrong. How far I'll go, how long it will take for me before I will admit, ooh. And I vow to never take that long to admit I'm wrong ever again. The second thing I was very wrong about was gay marriage. I took the libertarian approach, thinking I was so smart, trying to thread some third way needle. Right? So you had the gay activist over here saying marriage can be whatever we want it to be. And then you had the religious nutcases over here saying marriage is between a man and a woman. We must defend it. And I found this clever third way of, yes, marriage is sacred. It's a church institution. Let's defend it inside our churches and let the state define it how they want to define it. And we'll define it however we want to define it and everything will be fine. And I was wrong. I should have been a bigger supporter of the religious nutcases. They were right. And now I am a religious nutcase, so I guess it's okay. I should have been more vocal and my support, my defense of marriage as a man and a woman. But I just sat back and let the progressive left destroy another essential pillar of our culture. And the third thing that I've been very wrong about was the legislation, uh, legalization of marijuana. Again, I took what I thought was the clever libertarian approach. And there are three reasons why I supported the legalization of marijuana. I lived in California at the time. First was, if we legalize marijuana, it will undercut the Mexican drug cartels, right? Let's, let, they're, they're selling this illicit illegal thing. Let's make it not illegal anymore. And then there'll be no more cartels selling marijuana. We'll drive them out of business, right? Second reason I supported the legalization of marijuana was uh, the medicinal purposes. People are sick. And if this provides some sort of relief as a medicine, then we should let people have it, right? And then I took it to the next level. And I said, well, hey, let's legalize all drugs while we're at it. This war on drugs hasn't worked. Very popular libertarian talking point. The war on drugs hasn't worked. It's a failure. It's as bad as prohibition of alcohol. I remember I watched the Ken's Bur Ken Burns documentary and just replaced the word alcohol with marijuana and it was the same thing. So we need to legalize all drugs because if we legalize cocaine tomorrow, are you just gonna go out and start using cocaine? No. So let's just legalize drugs. It's pointless. Hooey. Was I wrong about that? So let's go backwards through all three of those. Uh, sure, I won't start using cocaine. <laughs> you probably won't start using cocaine, but 10% of people will. And that's enough to be a disaster. If something is more available, there's gonna be a certain percentage of people who will use it. People who don't have a conviction against it, if it's available, they will and 10% of people or whatever that number is, it's a lot of people that will have a drastic effect on families in our country. And we see it with the legalization even of marijuana. It's everywhere, every billboard, corner stores, all throughout our cities and uh, outside cities. Kids eating gummies, going to the hospital. It's everywhere. Everywhere I go, smell marijuana. Literally, I walk, I go to parks everywhere. It's more prevalent than ever. Why? Because it's legalized now. So it's everywhere. And when it's everywhere, more people will use it. Second thing I thought was that, oh, marijuana treats 
chronic pain, it'll make people feel better. No, it doesn't treat chronic pain. It's a placebo. Here's a major study that was done on that. It was a meta-analysis of 20 randomized controlled studies. So they took 20 different studies and analyzed the results. Uh, just under 1,500 people with chronic pain, some were given marijuana, some were given a placebo, and they had similar effects of pain relief. This is the director of the program in placebo studies at Harvard University. He said, with the exception of opioids, most pain relieving medications are barely better than a placebo. We'll talk more about that one coming up because you watching right now, you may be a person who uses marijuana in some form, a gummy or a vape or whatever for pain, or your wife does and you swear by it. You swear it works. Yeah, that's, that's how placebos work. We'll talk more about that in a minute. The first thing I mentioned was we need to legalize marijuana because it will undercut the Mexican drug cartels. <laughs> Far from it. Legalizing marijuana brought the cartels to operate in California. We, like, like it was one thing when the cartels were in Mexico and then sending their marijuana over here. Now we've legalized growing marijuana. Now the cartels are growing it here. They're growing it in California. And I'm sure other Western states, all the states, probably that, that, it, that it makes sense to grow in. Isn't that amazing? I thought we would make the cartels go out of business. <laughs> They've come across the border. So the cartels are doing just fine. Recently, a small town in uh, California, inland, like the desert areas, and two Mexican gang members killed six people in one house in the middle of the night, including a 16-year-old running away with her 10-month-old uh, baby in her arms, and they were both shot in the head. So the cartel violence is here as well. And foolish me thought that legalizing marijuana would stop all this. I was very wrong. Throw on top of this, something we'll talk about more later, kids are showing up to school high because of edibles and, and vaping and just how normalized marijuana is. Because here, here's why this is so prevalent. Marijuana was originally pitched as uh, safe and natural and healthy, and it's, it's a type of medicine. So kids have grown up now thinking, hey, it's, it's good for me. This is good. It's healthy. It's natural. It grows out of the ground. Uh, and it takes the edge off. And now you just pop a gummy bear or a piece of chocolate or whatever. You don't even have to smoke it. And now and then we get all these excuses like, oh, it's, it's for mental health. Kids are using it to get rid of their anxiety. Are they using it to get rid of their anxiety or is it making your anxiety worse? And so many kids are just showing up to school high now. This is just the new normal for their life. This is in middle school. I talked about this on my radio show, and we had someone call in from Boston, he's an uh, elementary school teacher. He says, the parents drop their kids off, and the kids open up the door, and smoke just billows out of the car. They've been hotboxing on the way to school, the parents have, with the kids in the back seat. You got like first graders showing up to school high. We live in a country of stoners. Throw on top of this, in California, they just passed a law which decriminalizes magic mushrooms. This is great. Now we need people hallucinating. Why not? This is what we need in California. On top of all the madness and chaos we got going on, let's throw a bunch of people tripping out all day. That's a great ingredient to the mess that our society is already in. Psychedelics. <laughs> and again, it'll be pitched as natural and safe and wonderful. It'll solve uh, PTSD and all this other nonsense. Then, if I may, and we've talked a lot about this before, fentanyl killing 100,000 Americans a year. This is chemical warfare from China. It's chemical warfare 
These are chemicals from Wuhan, China, shipped across the ocean into Mexico, then funneled across our border with our open borders. And now it's not just fentanyl that China is involved in. China's also owning and working the illegal, uh, and legal, but also illegal, marijuana trade in America. So the Chinese are also in charge of a lot of the marijuana that's grown here. China is drugging and killing us. And I believe this is payback from the opium wars when the British drugged the people of China with opium. And now the Chinese are drugging us right back and killing us. We'll start with the, uh, in this next segment, with the results of legalizing marijuana. We're just a couple years into it. It's not promising. <laughs> then we'll talk about the cartels and harder drugs. And then we'll talk to a former gang member on how to really solve this on an individual level, because that's what it's gonna take. I'm grateful you're here with our latest Politics by Faith, the drug epidemic. Mike Slater, spread the word. <laughs> Public Square is our first sponsor we've ever had on this podcast, and I can think of no better sponsor imaginable than the wonderful people at Public Square. Free app for your phone, free download, and it is a collection of businesses near you and around the country that share your values. It's as simple as that. Stop giving your money to Bud Light. Stop giving your money to all of these companies that hate you that are pushing literally satanic stuff. Like Target has t-shirts with Satan on it. <laughs> like, so this isn't even like crazy, crazy Christians saying everything's satanic. There's products with Satan on it. I'm allowed to call that satanic. Stop giving them your money. And instead download the Public Square app and you can find uh, where you should be spending your money. Freedom-loving alternatives to all your favorite products and your companies. These are people who believe in life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, uh, a pro-life, aligned with your values. And because we're building it ourselves, it's all uh, cancel-free. It's wonderful. It's so easy to use, too. Public Square, the Public Square app. Totally free. You can also go to, to find out the values in particular that every business needs to sign on to. To get featured in the app, you can go to publicsq.com. Hey, Slider Crusaders, welcome back to our special Politics by Faith, the Drug Epidemic. Charles Lehman is here. He's a fellow at the Manhattan Institute, a contributing editor at the wonderful City Journal, and he's got a substack called The Casual Fallacy, where recently he wrote a wonderful, in-depth, detailed data, everything you need about how this whole legalization of marijuana thing hasn't quite been panning out like we've been promised. Charles, great to talk to you again, brother. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, man, you and I were both uh, took the libertarian approach on legalizing marijuana, and now we can reflect back a decade or so later. How's it going? Uh, you know, I think I think not. Look, look by 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 the standards of libertarians, uh, certain libertarian standards, great. Uh, by some <laughs> measures, nineteen to. 30-year-olds are consuming a lot more marijuana. Marijuana is broadly much more accessible than it used to be. Um, but, you know, I think that what we are seeing in the long run is that mostly uh, people who consume marijuana before are still consuming marijuana. Mostly people who are not consuming marijuana continue to choose not to consume marijuana. And the major fact that you see is among the population of people who are using and using heavily, and they are using much more heavily, um, that the frequency, the number of uses that they use, uh, that 
the, the number of uses in a given day, for example, has risen dramatically over the past 30 years, even as the user population has remained pretty small. And you know what that tells me is when you legalize an addictive good, uh, the people who are prone to addiction to it for whatever reason uh, use it more, even though uh, it is debilitating to their health by definition. Why by definition? Because some people will say, oh, it's great, or I use it all the time and I'm fine. Well, so, you know, it's, it's by definition in the sense that, you know, an, an addiction is when you use something compulsively and you want to stop, but you can't and it's harming you. Um, and there are a variety of harms that are associated with marijuana use. Uh, you can talk about sort of specific ones um, in some subpopulations, particularly young people having marijuana use is plausibly causally connected to psychosis and increased risk of schizophrenia. Um, in the short run, marijuana use can lead to marijuana-induced psychosis among a broader population. Um, it can lead to marijuana hyperemesis syndrome, which is fancy doctor language for throwing up a lot, uh, throwing up so much you can't stop. Um, and then more generally, you know, even even bracketing those very specific concerns, marijuana is a, it's, it's what a, a friend of mine called performance-degrading drug. Um, being high all the time is not conducive to living well. Um, makes you slower, it potentially makes you more anxious, uh, it makes you less able to engage with the world around you. It's interesting because a lot of people will say, no, no, it takes away my anxiety. I take it to calm down, to take the edge off. Uh, but, but the argument is, well, no, it also causes anxiety. What do you say? You know, I think it's, 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 it's a little bit hard to tell. Um, I think there's probably some, uh, what we call heterogeneity there. There are some people for whom uh, stay marijuana use, a little bit of marijuana is going to lead to a reduction in anxiety. That's plausible. And you see a correlation between anxiety and marijuana use because anxious people may even go prone to take marijuana. It seems likely that high doses of THC in particular um, and the potency of marijuana seems to have risen substantially under legalization for reasons we can get into. Uh, high doses of THC are associated with higher levels of anxiety. Um, so that's, you know, the, 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 the trade-off there. Um, I think that gets to the more general point, which is that the marijuana people are using is not just, they're not just using it more frequently because it's more available. It's also much more potent than it used to be. Yep. And so the dose per session is higher. Yep. Um, so I talked about this in my radio show and we had a bunch of people call in. Actually, we had a bunch of former police officers call in. We're like, oh, I was against uh, legalizing marijuana, but now my wife uses it because she's in chronic pain to sleep or I use it to sleep now because like PTSD and stuff like that. So they're trying to, to refute this, Charles. They're saying, hey, listen, maybe there's irresponsible people out there, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't legalize it for people like me. That's a tough one, what do you say? So look, I'd say a couple of things. One is that there are specific medical uses for which THC is approved plausibly or plausibly indicated, um, end stage cancer pain, uh, nausea associated with AIDS, um, multiple sclerosis, uh, some other plasticity. Uh, um, uh, it seems un it's unclear the extent to which marijuana is a, is a good general pain reliever better than over-the-counter Tylenol or ibuprofen. Um, you know, people will believe that marijuana helps. Uh, but look, what, you know, what I like to say is that medical marijuana legalization is not the same thing. Look, there, there's a broad spectrum between uh, full sales over the counter, full sales in your drugstore of marijuana and uh, full prohibition. Um, cocaine is a Schedule II drug. It's strongly controlled, but it's used for medical applications. Cocaine is used in eye surgery. Um, but nobody argues because cocaine is specific medical applications, therefore you should be able to walk down to the corner store and buy cocaine whenever you feel like it. Um, so even if I grant the premise that there are specific, and you know, I, I think you want to dig into the literature a little bit, you want to 
you want more research on how you can get people um, the benefits of THC without, for example, the cost of smoking, which is a carcinogen. Uh, that said, even if we grant the premise that there are more medical applications than are currently identified, that doesn't mean that uh, anyone being able to buy pot anywhere at any time they please is a net good for society. Yeah, okay, let's speak to that, because this is it. I've been putting to death slowly my libertarian impulses uh, over the last couple of years there. Uh, I don't know if you've been doing that wholesale or just on this particular issue. But uh, I'm hearing this and he's like, okay, schedule two, cocaine, we can't allow it, we don't allow it, okay. But then I'm like, but freedom, but freedom, Charles. Freedom, freedom, we should be free. Who's the government to say what you can or cannot ingest? Freedom, freedom. What's your matrix for deciding, for, for like freedom plus flourishing society? Or like how, like how do you balance yeah. that with libertarian impulse? You know, look. I think I think freedom freedom is freedom is uh, an extraordinarily important thing. Um, most people, not everybody, most people recognize that uh, one way your freedom can be deprived is through violence, and coercion. Somebody can make you their slave. Another way is that the government can tyrannize you. Those are both serious and legitimate concerns. Um, the reason the government gets in the way of crime is because it's it's somebody else depriving you of your freedom. That's one way to think about it. Um, my view is that that there are there are other things which pose a threat to individual freedom as well. One class of that is very broadly speaking, what we may talk about as as, as addictive goods. Um, again, goods where uh, you use, where a subset of the users use them compulsively. They'd like to stop; it's harming them, but they are unable to do so. Um, and there's a fairly broad spectrum of those, um, and we control them in a variety of ways. Some of them we say we can control them enough that we can permit a market in them. Um, we say this is true of alcohol. I think this is plausible true of alcohol. We do a better job controlling alcohol than we currently do. Um, but some of them we say we simply cannot control them enough to have uh, to mm. to be willing to accept the cost and freedom that comes with permitting. We should have permitting. This is clearly true of heroin. This is probably true of cocaine. Um, that the the deprivations associated with addiction to those substances are substantial enough that they outweigh the personal liberty interest. That that the, the right. that the the addiction associated with them is sufficient harm to your freedom to outweigh concerns about people should have the right to like consume stuff that they want to. Um, and so for those goods, we sort of say, how can we, can, can we plausibly maximize freedom here? Um, and if we can't, then usually the, you know, the, the, the big dumb solution is like say is just to ban them. Um, and it works. It works in certainly the case of heroin. My, my view is that it's better than the approach that we're taking to marijuana now or the approaches that we are likely to take for marijuana. Really well said. Okay, um, let's bring in some other drugs. Let's bring in fentanyl. We're gonna talk more about that with our next guest as well. Um, and then another thing that is not talked about enough are antidepressants or SSRIs. You throw these things in the mix and we have a vast majority of people <clears throat> who are on some form of medicine. And I think my concern, or some sort of <clears throat> drug. And I think my concern is that we just have this concept in America now that we should be taking things. We should be ingesting things to fix problems in our life and or to make us feel better. So we feel bad and just if I take a thing, it'll make it go away. And I don't like this mentality. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, you know, uh, look, what, I, what, what I'd say is on the one hand, uh, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the idea that you should use tools that work. Um, SSRIs, mm. there's sort of a debate about how effective they are, but it seems like for at least some subset of the population, uh, they they are effective um, for the sort of most severely depressed. They meet clinical standards of effectiveness. Um, that said, I think it is right to say that 
our sort of model of how we live well is affected by psychopharmacology in general, whether that be SSRIs, whether that be amphetamines, um, whether that be benzodiazepines for anxiety management, um, that we begin to think about these as purely chemical phenomena that can be regulated on a chemical level. Um, is that, you know, is that bad in an individual circumstance? Not necessarily. For some people, that cost is worth the benefit of not being depressed. Um, but it is, it is degrading of our ability to interact with the, to interact with the rest of the world, to interact with, uh, interact with ourselves as, as more than chemical beings. Yes. Yes. That's well said. You're right. When, you. the, when the mentality of our modern world is that we are nothing but random chemical reactions of the brain, then of course, introducing other chemical reactions to right the ship in your brain is a solution. But if you believe that we are more than chemical reactions and we need more tools, is that right? Yeah, no, I, I, I and there's a diversity of tools that you can use to interact with. When, uh, when you think about depression, um, one of the one of the funny observations in depression is that uh, most treatments work similarly well. Um, most types of therapy work similarly well. And one model here is that sort of the will to treatment does a lot of the work of treatment per se. Simply saying, I want to get better, yes. does a lot yeah, of the work right. of the action getting better, the actual improving your yeah. improving your life outcomes. Um, you know, I uh, that involves a certain theory of yourself as as somebody's agency over over your mental state. Um, do I yes. think you know we can ascribe all problems to that? No. Um, you know, I'm 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 not an absolutist on, on psychiatric medications. It helps a lot of people. They help a lot of people. Um, I also think there's strong evidence that they're overprescribed. Um, but I think that there is a sort of more general cultural tendency to say, how can we address this problem on a medical or on a chemical level, rather than how can we address it on a human level? That's it. Charles Lehman, Manhattan Institute, City Journal. Check out this one in particular piece on his Substack, The Casual Fallacy. The book is called, or sorry, the, the post is called How I Changed My Mind About Marijuana. Charles, great to talk to you, brother. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Coming up next, we'll talk, focus mostly on the border next, on the cartels, and on China's, in particular Wuhan's, connection to the chemical warfare happening in America today. Mike Slater, spread the word. <music> Well, when it comes to the debt ceiling, which has been raised, disaster averted, right? Yeah, uh, billionaire investor Ray Dalio, he said, increasing the debt limit means there's no meaningful limit on the debt and will eventually lead to a disastrous financial collapse. Of course, it would have to, how could it not? JP Morgan warned, cut stocks, buy gold, hold your cash. Wells Fargo says gold's in a super cycle. Could last another six years. Worst case scenario is $3,000 gold. The search how to buy gold on Google hit record levels in April. <laughs> so you're not alone in wondering if this is good for your family, if it's a smart investment, smart move. And then also how. <laughs> the question isn't should I buy gold? People are Googling, how do I do it? Call Patriot Gold Group. They're the best. That's where I buy my gold. They also have a no fee for life IRA where your IRA or 401k can be in physical gold and silver as well. Um, and you can just buy it and own it and have it in your hands. Pretty amazing. 1-888-617-6122. 888-617-6122. Get a free investor guide today. Tell them you know Mike Slater. They'll treat you absolute first class. 1-800, excuse me, 1-888-617-6122. PatriotGoldGroup.com.